Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Seek Outside podcast. My name is Dennis, and today I'm joined by Kevin and Nathan, and we are going to talk about backpack fit or carrying heavy loads. Uh, This is a companion podcast to a video that Nathan recently put out on YouTube uh, entitled Packing Heavy Loads Tips and Tricks. Uh, How's it going, guys? Good. Awesome. Just another day in paradise, doing what we love. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, Nathan, uh, you're in Tennessee, right? I am. Is it is it warm down there today? Oh, not too bad. It's uh, probably 85 and sprinkling, so uh, you can see the air. <laughs> it's nice <laughs> and humid. <laughs> Are you wearing your mankini to cool off? <laughs> Yeah, I just, I work naked. <laughs> I, I don't know. I told Angie about your, about your mankini get up and um, she's like, we really should do a video like that. Someone, someone dressed that way and do it as April Fool's, but a really serious topic. Yeah. The mullet wig and the whole, you know, Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah. Joe Dirt get up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, I'm just looking at Rock Slide right now. Uh, you've had a lot of positive responses on your video. So you want to mm-hmm. go over that um, just briefly. Um, and then we'll start to probably deep dive and give a little bit more of our experiences. Now, also want to say prior, before we get into this too far, that we've had some really crappy pack out experiences as well with different packs. So we'll do that. Um, the only ones we're going to mention the name of is going to be um, when we've had crappy experiences with seek outside packs. Uh, yes, they've happened, um, but it's been self-inflicted um, easily. So you want to get started, Nathan? Yeah, sure. Um it's, it's funny that you mentioned the crappy pack outs because that's actually where our backpack line came from. Uh, was, was crappy pack outs. Right. Just mis- miserable, terrible, painful pack outs. And we were both like, there's got to be a better way. Um, but, uh, so we've been there and, and done that and, uh, you know, feel the pain of everybody. And, where this video idea came from is I talked to so many people about backpack fit. They're our customers, obviously. Um, and so many times they've got some simple issue that I just assume that people know, um, like they drop a boned out quarter down in the bottom of the pack bag and, and pack out and wonder why the pack wasn't comfortable. And I I say, well, you've got to get the load up behind your shoulder blades or it's going to kill you. Uh, And people don't know, you know, they just don't know. You don't know what they don't know. And and to be kind of clear, I mean, oftentimes it's a little challenging for us to go back to the start um, because oftentimes we've commuted communicated so much about packs just amongst ourselves 
that we just gloss over so many of the, the smaller details as assumed knowledge when communicating yeah. amongst each other. And Dennis is really good for us in that way because Dennis has kind of has more of a teaching kind of professor sort of approach to things to like, let's start from someone who's never even heard of what a backpack is. And so it causes a little bit of a reset for us, which is yeah, good. I think, I think that's a good point. It, it, echo chambers can be pretty dangerous. And, you know, for a lot of years, it was the Kevin and Nathan echo chamber. <laughs> we just talked to each other about this stuff and not to anyone else. Um, so anyway, I wanted to put together a video of all of the little tips and tricks uh, that it takes to get a comfortable carry with, say, a hundred pound load. Um, and that that is a difficult thing to do. There are a lot of moving parts, um, a lot of components that have to come together. And if any one of those components is not working right, then the whole thing falls apart. So there, there's a lot of ways for this comfortable carry with heavy loads to go wrong, and there's only one way for it to go right. Uh, and if you don't know all of the components and how to manipulate those, then it's just really, really hard to luck into getting a comfortable carry. So that's that's kind of the overview of it. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of the bad experiences just real quick. I mean, that's kind of what brought us together. I had, mm -hmm. and these were older packs, right? I had a pack that bruised my hips incredibly bad on a bear pack out, right? My hips were probably bruised for 10 days, two weeks afterwards. Um, didn't have enough shoulder lift, you know, a lot of things. And that kind of sent me on the mission of experimenting with different packs. And some of what I experimented with was more external frame stuff. Um, now you had a different manufacturer years ago. Mm -hmm. You had issues where you just couldn't keep it on your hips and during an elk pack out and yeah. it gained a lot of water weight. So go through that a little bit. Well, it, it basically every problem you can have during a pack out I had during that pack out and it was my first elk pack out. So um this was a not an inexpensive backpack. It was top of the line. Um and I was in rain for two and a half or three days before I killed my bull. And the pack probably doubled in weight. And that pack was comfortable with 50 pounds. Like it, it carried 50 pounds like a dream. But you drop 70, 80, 90 in it, and I could not keep it on my body. It it just slipped and slipped and slipped. Um, and I've come to realize since then that I've been blessed or cursed, whichever way you want to look at it, with one of the most challenging body types to get a hip belt to stay put on. Um, I'm flat back, no butt, slender, built like a telephone pole. There's nothing for a pack belt to grip. Um, and that pack design is terrible for my body type with heavy loads um, the belt slipped in the back and it cantilevered and hung off the points of my hips that's the only thing that stopped it and then i would carry more load on my shoulders 
um, wound up strangling my waist, bruising my hips. My shoulders were bruised, uh, packing out in the rain solo, a big bull. And, uh, man, it, it was just, it was all I could do when, when I finally got back to the truck and, and thank goodness, Kevin rescued me. Um, you know, he, he got off after work and brought a couple friends and I had, I had shuttled meat down to a trail marker and, uh, had some help getting out. When I stumbled into the trailhead that night, I was, I was spent. It was all I could do. Like I, I was, I was at my limit. Um, and a lot of it was the, just the unending pain that I was in. It was just miserable. Um, just like someone beating you with a baseball bat, there's no end in sight. Um, and so, and it, and it was, and it was kind of those, those experiences, right. That led you guys to creating, I guess, paradox packs was the first company and then, and then seek outside packs yeah. from there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after that, Kevin and I were, you know, we were friends at that point, but we both kind of have obsessive personalities. <laughs> which if you ask our wives may be a bad thing but you know for this kind of work it's probably a good thing when i get on something man i i just get consumed by it i cannot stop thinking about it until i get it figured out and uh, i became consumed with figuring out why these packs were not working and finding what would work so i think i wound up trying somewhere around 30 of the best regarded packs in history um, with heavy loads. You know, I would, I would scour forums for pack reviews and like I, I've found a Canadian made Arcteryx Bora 80 uh, on Craigslist from a guy in Bozeman, Montana and had him ship it to me because that was supposed to be one of the best weight hauling packs in history. You still uh, it have it? Sucked, by the way. No, you still no, it have sucks. it. I, yeah, it sucks. So oh, I, I got rid of it. It's not in the um, museum, the backpack museum. <laughs> it's, it's not in the backpack museum. <laughs> um, I, but it's funny. I actually found uh, two packs that worked pretty well, um, and they shared some characteristics. One of them was very cheap, and one of them was very expensive. Um, and I began to figure out why they they worked and why some of the others didn't work. And when we identified the reasons that they worked, then we could, we could figure out how to deliver the absolute most important components of weight carry in the strongest, lightest, simplest way possible. And that's where our frame came from. So, um, you know, there were a couple of iterations of our frame, and then uh, the frame went to Kevin Seek Outside. We made a, a hip belt uh, or two, and I'd been doing, you know, back-to-back 100-pound tests. Like, I would take a pack out with 100 pounds, do a mile loop. I'd take another pack out on a 100-pound you know, mile loop and see which one would do better and try to figure out why. Well, they sent the, you know, the prototype suspension back to me with the frame that I'd made, and I took it on that mile loop. And I was like, holy crap, guys, this is it. This is the by far the best riding pack that I've ever used. Um, you know, out of all of these, this, this is like magic. And um, we, we went from there. And uh, it's been a, been a long road, but it's been really good. 
And it's also been a little bit, um, so I, <clears throat> shall I say that since a lot of packs um, copy each other, um, it's pretty easy to see. Um, you can go, sometimes I look at someone's new pack, I'm not criticizing them, but I'm, I'm like, it looks like this pack and this pack mated and you know, their, their DNA shows very heavily. Um, because we went conceptually very different, it took us a, a bit of time to, to refine and tailor. It wasn't like we were saying, well, let's just start off with this pack and make the three mods that we want. We started and, and with start with this pack and put frame extensions in it. Right, right. Yeah. We 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 had a different belt. We had a different pack bag material. We had um, frame extensions. We had our harness adjustment was unlike any other because that was what required was required to make the frame and belt and frame extension concept work together. Right. Um, at that time. So for us, it was, you know, we had a lot of early adopters, had very positive feedback and stuff, but it, it was something that was a little bit of a moving target early on. I would say now the last few years have been quite refined and we haven't done a whole lot of changing, just minor little things to try to improve things for customers. Um, anyway, so that's, yeah, that's some of the history. And while Nathan was doing that stuff, I was kind of scouring around at different places trying to find packs. Um, and I was leaning towards a couple of external frame packs as my best option with some sort of bag strapped onto them, right? Um, I did some modifications of packs. Um, changed out framing in some of the common packs. And while Nathan was doing more consistent walking with load, I was throwing on heavy packs as well and walking around the neighborhood in my spare time. Um, and we were coming to a conclusion, coming to very similar conclusions of what worked for us. And a lot of that stuff, even, even early on, some of the concepts are still things that maybe we talk about a bit like when Nathan was talks about in the video of load distribution, you know, a few years ago, I took our panel loader pack and just started loading up loads everywhere and doing hikes and seeing what I thought about adding 75 pounds here versus 75 pounds here. But we've also done things where we've offloaded on like front weights and stuff as well. Um, mm -hmm. And the effects of center of gravity uh, on that, like if you can load 20 pounds on the front of your body, it's kind of like taking 20 pounds off the back as far as your center of gravity. So say you with 100 pounds, you have kind of a lean forward. That makes it harder on your hips. It's going to tire out your hips. It's going to tire out your muscles. Um, because you're not used to walking that way, right? Um, but if you put 20 pounds in front, um, it helps even that out, and you end up with a carriage that is more like if you had 60 pounds, which is far easier on your body. Even though you still have 100 pounds, it's just loaded a little differently. And when and when you mean 20, when when you say 20 pounds in front, you're saying hanging 
I don't know, for most people listening, maybe a pair of really big binoculars and or, or something off kind of the, the front shoulder straps of the harness on your chest. Right, right. right. Yeah. You know, right. Almost like little almost like little meat bags or something that you could put tenderloins and backstrap in. We that was actually a, an idea that we talked about for a while. Hmm. Um because I, I do think it would help with your load distribution. It, um, it would. I mean, I did a pack out on a day that it snowed sixteen inches. Um and I was in the I was in the full sixteen inches. So we really it was like a blizzard and tried to get the animal out before it was buried in the snow, right? And when before the area would be no longer accessible even. And so to do more, I loaded up the back. The it was it was an Osprey pack. It was an Osprey vector series from the 90s, still made in Dolores. It was not a bad pack. Loaded up the back with as much as I could, and I carried a elk front quarter in the front. And I was surprised at how much better that felt, even though I, I had a rear in the back and a front quarter in the front. I mean, I had a lot of weight going on as part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but that conceptually, there is some stuff. But I mean, that's, that's more avant-garde stuff. But literally, you could make a little meat sack and throw a back strap off the front, and it is going to help your weight distribution. Mm -hmm. yeah interesting and that's definitely more we're still testing that right that we don't we don't currently do that yeah. so <laughs> let's run it, run it back to uh yeah. to maybe some of the tips from the video nathan and, and this platform is going to allow us to dive deep in into those um i know yeah, we let, let me let me give a let me give a quick overview of uh, some of the moving parts that i was talking about to getting comfortable carry if, if any one of these breaks comfort is decreased but if some of them break uh, it's not just comfort is decreased like misery is introduced and the big one is hip belt slippage now that's part of backpack fit there's a few pieces to backpack fit but if if the hip belt slips to the point that you cannot get it stopped except through over tightening the belt and over tightening the shoulder harness taking more weight on the shoulders and over tightening the belt nothing else you do is going to make it better. It's going to be miserable after a certain amount of time. Um, there is a difference in hip belt slippage and hip belt settling. Um, we were, you know, we've discussed this in the past, but sometimes people have these preconceptions on where they need to wear their belt. Um, and I generally will center my hip belt over the points of my hips, and that works for me. Um, but sometimes people are a little off one way or the other and a heavy load will tell you where you need to wear the belt because sometimes that belt will settle down and if it settles down and then stops and doesn't slip and it doesn't create hip flexor issues or nerve issues where you can't raise or lower your legs or, you know, your movement is not impeded, then your hip belt just settled. And that's probably where you need to wear it with those heavy loads. You should just set your torso height from there. Um, because if you have got a good solid platform from the belt being stable, then you can make that pack comfortable from that point. And, um, and what, what weights are you thinking there between, you know, um, that, so, that so maybe it, it allow is, the pack to settle versus maybe 
not settling prior to that point? Yeah, it it is relatively easy and simple to make a pack comfortable with 30 pounds. Many, many manufacturers can do that. It is hard to get a pack to be comfortable with 60 pounds, but there are several manufacturers that do that. It is very, very difficult to get a pack to carry more than 70 to 80. Um, in my experience, if a pack is going to slip, um, it will do it if you move past about 75, 80 pounds. Yeah. It, and and if you if you jump up to like 100, it just makes it happen instantly. Uh, you know, you can walk a quarter to a half mile and like, okay, this, this is terrible. Um, and you just tell it really quickly. Mm -hmm. What's the, you know, most people are going to fit their pack then, right? 30, 30 pounds, 50 pounds, maybe. Um, yeah. what, do you suggest that they stack, you know, two plates on there or something to try to try to get it to a hundred pounds then after it's fitted and, and see what it does? If you plan on doing elk pack outs, you need to know that the pack's going to work for an elk pack out before you go on an elk pack out. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you're doing pack rafting trips and, the, you know, backpacking trips, stuff like that, and the most weight you ever plan to carry is 50 pounds, throw 50 pounds in it, get it adjusted, and you're good forever. Um, but if you are a backcountry hunter going after elk, then yeah, you probably need to throw 80 to hundred pounds in there and, and make sure that you've got your fit figured out. Make sure you've got your clothing figured out. Um, make sure you've got all these moving parts figured out before you're actually looking at a downed animal and getting ready to you know pack it out. It does get complicated. There, there, yeah. there is a lot of moving parts. Um, there's, how well it fits, um, what your expectations are, how well it fits, load distribution, um, things with your body, um, things like belt, like your pants belt, creating hot spots, clothing, some clothing. I mean, you should do it as close to what you think you're going to be backpacking with. Um, it's totally different to wear a wool shirt and load yourself up than to wear the base layer and it's going to be 65. You're going to be hot and sweaty. Um, well, I'm talking to someone from the West, someone from Tennessee might find that. <laughs> that might sound, find that chilly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it should be as close as you can to mimicking what you're going to do because the clothing and the pants, especially if you're wearing a belt and you're probably going to lose weight out there on the hunt. So you probably want some way to shrink your pants, right? Yep. Um, unless you purposefully take off, you know, leave camp wearing pants that are two sizes too tight for you or, you know, and just hope to shrink down into them. I wouldn't recommend that either. Um, you know, um, but you should get as close to what you're going to use in the field. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and adding, adding layers in there can change that different types of layers. 
all, all those things can kind of factor into that, that hip belt feel and or slippage. We'll put, we'll put yeah, slippage if, in quotes. If we're talking, if we're talking clothing, um, leather belts, I cannot wear. They cause my, uh, my hips to get bruised webbing belts like the bison designs and, and all those they do the same they leave a hard edge uh what mm. works for me is uh, like i've got this uh elastic belt that i found on amazon or somewhere for like 20 bucks and that works really well it's tight it it conforms doesn't leave a hard edge and then i wear prana zion pants a lot backpacking and, and backpack hunting because they've got this little webbing belt that allows me to suck up the excess as i lose weight um mm-hmm. and they don't they don't hurt my hips at all so I, de- I definitely like the zions for that yeah i've had the same experience i i do not like bison belts um i've even taken like so sick of pants um, the ascent, I like those pants quite a bit, but they don't have that webbing, that natural belt in them. But I can shrink them with two of our gatekeepers bridged between two loops on the belt. You know, that's yeah. a little, little more convoluted, but it doesn't create that hot spot either. Mm-hmm. I, th- I so, think all three. I think all three of us are in in agreement that maybe the the Prana stretch Zion pant is potentially maybe the best. It, it works really well. And I think they actually make a, a colder weather pant that's thicker. They make thought about getting one. some of those. Yeah. I've thought about getting some of those, you know, if the forecast is going to be down in the single digits. Um, but let me, let me say this. I think uh, as far as clothing goes, uh, hot weather is more of a challenge than cold weather. So if you add layers and stuff, I don't think that hurts the hip belt's ability to resist slipping. I think it actually helps in my experience. It may just be what I'm wearing, you know. Hmm. Um, but in hot weather, if you are wearing like slick compression shirts with gym shorts and or running shorts and stuff like that and just single layers, uh, real stretchy, slick stuff, man, that that can take a hip belt that does not slip with, you know, regular clothing and make it slip. I would agree. Um, specifically, like I would say, and I'm not calling because I, I, I like Sitka products quite a bit, but I would say like those lighter base layers that are, they also sometimes have a little bit of stretch in them as well. So sometimes like maybe it's anchored pretty well, but you might notice that it's just kind of pulling and stretching on your base layer as well. And so if other things on your movement on your body aren't staying super stable, it's kind of hard for the belt to stay super stable. Yep. Nike dry fit shirts are really bad for me. I love wearing those things to run and stuff, but if I'm doing a pack workout, I have to grab some old basketball shirt. that's kind of a mesh uh, mesh looking weave and it, it works much better, much better under a hip belt. What, what kind of tips or tricks do you have for people, uh, fitting hip belts then? Um, 
I, well, I guess one one thing that comes to mind is the the next question, right? Is is okay? The hip belt. Well, what about a lumbar pad? Does a lumbar pad solve my slipping slippage problems? Well, so with now, if we're going to talk this specifically, we're going to talk about just our packs. Yeah. Um, and my experience in our packs is that most people will have a strong preference for a lumbar pad or for no lumbar pad. There are a few people who can go either way. I think Kevin is one of those. I think he still prefers one way or the other, but he can really, you know, go either way. Um, I have a fairly strong preference for no lumbar pad. And that's primarily because of my very odd, very challenging build uh, to get a, a pack to not slide. I'm literally built like a telephone pole. There's nothing to stop it from sliding. So what helps me the most is getting a belt that conforms perfectly to my body. I, I maximize the surface area that the belt's able to grip me. And that is what stops the, the pack. Um, with other builds, um, I think more curvy builds, um, the lumbar pad changes the geometry of our frame and it just works much better for a lot of builds. And I would actually say that probably 75 to 85% of our customers would prefer a lumbar pad. I, th I think, I think what happens is the, and I, I'm really, I can go either way. I can carry our packs of hundred pound load, no lumbar pad on a 26 or 28 frame. And I will be on the, the grommet that is about an inch or so down from the belt. Um, that allows it to articulate to my body. Um, I also can go up to the highest grommet setting or wrapped as in old belts, how they were done. Um, on that, I can only carry up to about 40 without the lumbar pad. But if I put the lumbar pad on, then I can go 85 to 100. Um, speaking, technically speaking, most people are going to have the best fit with the belt articulating and the lumbar pad. It's going to create the biggest surface area. Most people have a little divot in their back. Um, it's, you know, that it's going to help kind of I think I have a barking dog here. Um, I'm going to shut my office door real quick. Yeah, you're good. I can I can chop it out. Okay, um, back. Um, but for um, for that divot, it helps kind of seal that in and it rounds it out for other people, right? That little bit of articulation helps really get contact. However, there's going to be people that have been like, I've always used lumbar pad packs and they view that that's what works best for them, whether it does or doesn't. Um, and there's some people that are going to be like the lumbar pad doesn't work for me. Um, and then there's others that are probably more indifferent and make the choice based on something else. So for myself, I'm in, I would say I'm technically indifferent. 
Um, but I make the choice that I actually prefer the upright position of the captured belt because it's less likely to get snow and pine duff and things like that in it. Um, and when you've been hiking around all day and you put on a belt that just flopped in the snow, I mean, it's, it's a chilling experience if you're a little sweaty. Um, so that's where my preference leans, um, a little bit towards the lumber pad. Now I probably actually get a little bit technically better carry without it and with a little more frame height, but I get a good enough carry up to all the weight that I want to carry. And so I'm like, well, I don't want to carry any more weight than this anyway. So why, why worry about it? Right. Hmm. Like I'm not, I don't really care if my car goes faster than a hundred. <laughs> I, I don't yeah, drive. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point for people too. Just because a bag, you know, is tested and or uh, rated for 200 pounds or 160 pounds, what, what have you. If you never plan on carrying 160 pounds, and you plan on carrying 80 pounds, well, then fitting your backpack at 80 pounds and making it comfortable is really all you need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I would caution people against, you know, overloading themselves. Um, I have carried 165 and it was in a situation where I kind of needed to uh, for a short distance to you know, get an animal into a, a workable uh, situation. And that's not something I really want to do again. It was, it was not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it, if you've got that much weight to carry, it's, it's much more comfortable to do two loads than it is one. Yeah, I, fi- I find with myself that at some point, two loads becomes just more efficient than one. You know, and then, and then there's always, you know, I hate to say it, but I, you know, I mean, it's a fact of matter. I'm getting older, right? Um, I'm in my fifties now. Um, so I don't necessarily recover from a flub up as quick as I did in my thirties. And you're going down a sketchy mountainside with ball bearing rocks and stuff. You know, the consequences start to get pretty big if you're, if you, take a bad step with 130 pounds on, you know, and, you know, where one of the places where I've done a lot of pack outs from it's, you know, keeping good solid footing in the eighties is difficult enough. You know, why make it harder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing you touched on too, is capturing your hip belt versus uncaptured. And, and for people, we'll leave a link in here if you don't, know our hip belt system and you can watch that video as well as Nathan's video and kind of that pack fit, but um, just trying to, trying to visualize for some people, either the belt is kind of floating, right? It can move around and, and kind of flip forward. And then when Kevin was talking about capturing it is that it's captured tighter to the frame itself. So it doesn't have the ability to move as much and or flop forward. Um, Yep. I, I yep. mean, I, I personally find that when it's uncaptured and that ability to move is what gives our pack extreme comfort. I'd say a lot of people would agree with that, but people are all over the board. Um, you know, we've been doing this long enough now and we've talked to 
enough people and fit packs on enough people. I've come to realize that everyone really is different. Um, I have fit, uh, I've worked with some customers, I think two customers who the only way I could get the pack to work for them was to set it up the complete opposite way that I like mine set up. Mm. Um, they, they needed it. Uh, they needed a captured belt with a lumbar pad with the max amount of padding in the lumbar pad. Uh, they need the harness locked down as tight as it would go. And we got the, the pack to work for him and he loved it. And he did not like it until we tried that variation. Hmm. Um, I've only met one guy, uh, which was at Western Hunt this year, that didn't like the pack until I set it up exactly the way that I wear mine. And he had a similar build to me. Uh, he's built like a telephone pole. Um, he kind of curves his shoulders forward when he's on trail. I look like a question mark when I'm when I'm in a pack. I mean, I curve my shoulders forward. My back's completely straight. Uh, and this this guy was like that. So he liked the the harness as floating as you can get it. The belt is floating as you can get it with no lumbar pads, and that worked great for him. But he's the only guy I've met that likes it the way that I wear mine. Um, the vast majority of people are in the middle. They prefer floating with a lumbar pad and probably the harness lockdown. Yeah, I would say that that's the most reliable fit. Like, technically, I mean, this year we started sending them out set for 18 inches, floating with a pad if they if they wanted it. You know, it's, it's just – and lockdown harness just – as easy to put on and for it to feel good as possible. I think it's real important also to truly have an open mind when it comes to finding what way you like. I think some people have been sold through marketing or discussions online and forums or Facebook or whatever. They've, they've been sold that they need certain concepts. Um, and that may not be what works well for their body. It, it just may not be. Now, let's let's go into. I've had, I've had, and we can go back to. I've had. I made mention that I had some bad pack out experiences with our own belt or with our own packs before, um, and I'd like to touch on those a little bit because they kind of influence where we are today, right? At one point I had an experimental belt that um, was designed to be adjustable in its height and articulation. Um, it was something, quite frankly, I was quite proud of and I hiked around with it for months at 30, 40, 50 pounds and it seemed great. Um, when I packed out a whole deer, eight miles, it didn't work and it failed miserably and everything was on my shoulders. Um, it sucked quite frankly, but I mean, it was a total self-inflicted, um, self-inflicted problem. And so that belt never made it to market. Um, I had another time where I had a hip pointer issue, which that really kind of is the genesis of our dual buckle system, our top and bottom tension, because that was really the only way um during the year that i could maintain comfort all day under load was to be able to adjust those tensions mm. so there's a couple items 
And and so people maybe don't know, maybe our new belt or I guess new, it's been this belt for a year now, maybe, or something or close to a year. It just has two adjustments, a top and a bottom. The previous version also had two adjustments on it. We just changed it up a little bit, but it has two adjustments, a top and a bottom. So you're able to tighten maybe the top of the belt to hug the top of your hips or above your hips and also tighten the bottom of the belt either or loosen it to, again, allow that belt to curl either up or down one way or the other, um, creating the, kind of a, this a is, customized fit. Yeah, the belt closure has been a an evolving thing. Um, and it's not like we started with something that was bad. Um, we just keep looking for something better. Um, what we started with was a forward pull using one and a half inch webbing. And we used a one and a half inch ladder lock to lock that to the belt. The, the problem with that was if you were in a remote area and you somehow managed to break that ladder lock, it was unrecoverable. It was not sealed repairable. Um, and we had that happen a time or two in extremely cold temperatures. Um, and uh, so we, we moved to a different system that would be more sealed repairable. Um, we went to a dual buckle without a forward pull. People missed the forward pull. Um, but the advantage was we added top and bottom independent tension adjustment, which some people really like. And I think some people need that to really fine tune their fit. So in order to bring back the forward pull and keep the top and bottom tension, we went to a four way forward pull uh, that is using one inch hardware and a one inch center buckle. And if you, it, it's really the best of all worlds, in my opinion, because you can you can tension top and bottom independently. You've got forward pull, and I don't really need top and bottom independent adjustment. Um, so what I can do is instead of running the webbing through both slots on the center buckle on each side uh, that will allow you to tension top and bottom independently, I just route it through one of those slots on each side, and that allows the tension to even out. Um, and I can grab both of those straps on one side and do the forward pull and have that belt tight. Um, another hang up on the, the dual buckle was you've got two buckles to fasten. And in the dark with mittens on, I would get them crossed. Um, you know, get the top of one connected to the bottom of the other. And then, you know, you kind of curse it in the dark and you're fumbling around trying to get it figured out. Um, the one buckle system, I think, really slick easy to use it works well it does everything we want it to do so i'm i'm really happy with where it's at right now and it's field repairable too that's another big thing um, we send out g hooks which are metal uh, clip-in buckles that can be used to repair any broken buckle if you slam one in a car door at the trailhead you're leaving for your 10-day hunt you can repair that with a g hook and get on your hunt and then you know we can get a more permanent fix when you get back uh, so it, it's not a trip ending disaster if if you do have a mishap or you do have a, a part to break yeah and, and we send those g hooks in with the packs correct yes yes we do yeah. we do so you get a couple field field repairable uh, metal g hooks and, and we use 
yeah, we use some one inch webbing, some one inch hardware. We use a lot of three quarter inch. Um, so the one inch buckle, you can of course put three quarter inch webbing through a one inch buckle and it'll still work. Mm-hmm. You just can't put one inch webbing through a three quarter inch buckle. Oh, but why not? So that one inch, well, <laughs> you'd have to fold it. <laughs> you can put five pounds of potatoes or 10 pounds of potatoes <laughs> in a five pound sack if you try hard enough. Um, so that, that one inch G hook really goes a long way to making the pack, you know, field repairable, durable, um, it, you're not going to ruin a trip if you make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so moving up, I think one thing that's uh, really important to touch on for people would be frame height and setting that frame height, either frame height in general, just as the, the pack frame, but then also torso adjustment in there. Um, yeah. And, so and- the, the three parts of, so let me run through real quickly, just big picture where I think pack comfort goes wrong the most uh, or can go wrong the quickest. Uh, hip belt slippage would be number one. Uh, the the three parts of fit would be hip belt slippage, torso height, frame height. And then beyond fit, uh, the biggest way that you can make a pack uncomfortable is through load distribution. So we, we need to cover that pretty strongly as well. We've already talked about clothing. Um, so on torso adjustment with our packs, I like to be able to touch, use two fingers, you know, my middle and my index finger, put one of them on C7, the pointy vertebrae at the base of my neck. And I want the other finger to be able to touch the top of the harness, the the U-shaped part that drapes around the back of the neck. Um, it needs to be close to that. doesn't have to be there exactly, but it needs to be close to that. Um, and by now, doing that, and by doing that, you get you get a good wrap around your shoulders, and you, pretty good. you, end, up, pretty you end up getting the load lifter kind of uh, where the load lifter is sewn on in a good spot on your body as well. Well, Dennis, I'll tell you uh, the end game okay. of torso adjustment. So that that measurement is not at the end all be all. The end all be all is what the what the torso adjustment allows you to do under heavy load. And this is where, this is what matters. This is the only real test that matters. When you've got a hundred pounds on your back and you've got the hip belt settled and it is not slipping. Um, if you carry a hundred pounds just on your hips the whole time, it will wear your hips out. It'll wear your legs out. So I like to be able to take some weight on my shoulders and rest my hips for a while and then transfer that back and carry some weight on my hips and rest my shoulders. And that, you know, uses different muscle groups for different periods of time and it just makes it easier. So what you have got to be able to do is to loosen your load lifters, tighten your shoulder harness, and that takes weight on your shoulders. And then you can tighten your load lifters back and that stabilizes the load. And then you can loosen the hip belt and rest your hips and the pack doesn't slip. You take more weight on your shoulders. And then the big thing is you can reverse that. So I can shrug the load up, tighten the hip belt, and then I can loosen my shoulder harness and tighten the load lifters and pull that harness up off my shoulders and rest my shoulders and work my hips. If you cannot do that, 
then either your torso height is too low or too high or your hip belt slipping. You've got to be able to do that for your torso adjustment to be correct. What about the people like, um, not to throw Angie under the bus, but who knows, <laughs> uh, um, that, that will, and I mean, she cannot stand anything on her shoulders. Um, yeah, my wife's the same way. Yeah, and so she will literally take that harness and pull the load lifters to where the harness is like practically curving around her ears mm-hmm. and coming down in front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cassie, and, and Cassie I wears her, her harness like four inches above her shoulders. Yeah. She also yeah, so visual, visual, for people, uh, visual for people, though, is that you can stick your hand in between the shoulder harness and your shoulder at that point. Like, yeah. it's so far off the yeah. shoulder that there's a giant gap. Like, there, there's no way there's any weight at all on your shoulders. Yeah. That, that works your hips a lot. Um, if you choose to do that and that's more comfortable for you, then just throw out everything I've said. <laughs> but I, I think that's a pretty small, I think that's a pretty small subset of I do people think who, between, who do that. I do think between men and women, there's probably a lot of differences in how they like the harness due to anatomical differences. Um, and then there's always some, some individualism even between people with say similar anatomy for instance some people i know absolutely hate sternum straps i view i view that in a correctly set up pack the sternum strap is a partial load bearing device as well you know strapping uh, yeah i would agree with that i said in the video that uh, it's underappreciated because it, it really does change the angle of the harness and the way that load is distributed so that's the first thing that I click. Um, I, I start when I get the pack on, I get the hip belt set, and then I start with loose load lifters, loose harness. I click the sternum strap and get it tight before I work on anything else. So it's a lot more important than people think. It's, a, it's another st- structure in my mind. It's another structure like like your iliacs and your lumbar region are structures you can use to try to keep the pack in a certain area and the sternum strap coming across your chest is another area that you can provide a little bit of structure right Mm -hmm. by structure you mean just not allowing uh, movement in the shoulder straps then to go side to side maybe to slide off a shoulder like like when you say structure that, well, it also, it also puts some weight. It also puts some weight into your chest. Yes. Um, and you know what you what can happen with the shoulder straps is they kind of slide off to the sides and start digging in, um, and that becomes really uncomfortable, especially if you roll your shoulders forward, as uh, many many people do. Uh, I certainly do. Um, the the sternum strap controls that. It, it keeps the harness from expanding out and cutting in Hmm. is is it also like everything else where you can go too tight yeah interesting and and i just want to throw i never use a sternum strap just for the record 
you should try it. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say never, but I don't. I could easily remove it off of a pack and not even it not notice. I guess. And again, I think that gets into you know what you were just talking about with with maybe Angie's preference. It man, some of this stuff is just so personal. Uh, but I'll agree that I will use a sternum strap sometimes. So I see the benefit there. And I think that's important for people to understand, like try things, you yeah. know, like, yeah, for and, sure. I, and I think there's some benefit in, and this probably depends more on the terrain, like say packing out an elk over say a three to seven mile relatively flat glacier valley with relatively good trail is going to be very different than packing a similar load um, down timber blowdowns um, down a hill um, and stuff because the stability like say you're going down this glacially carved valley that is almost flat almost perfectly flat um, there's not a lot of necessarily side to side stuff, but if you get in a lot of blowdowns, you may be stepping over a tree and one side is a foot lower, um, than the side that your uphill foot is on. And you're just forced to kind of make a step like that, which takes a load and really moves it around, which kind of goes into, Nathan's video as well, uh, load placement, um, as well, yeah. you know, like important to, well, there, there's a, there's a couple parts to that. And one of them is load distribution. The other is sway. Um, mm -hmm. you do not want sway if you're on 40 degree slopes and blow down and the sternum strap and the load lifters really help stabilize that load. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't move when you don't expect it to. Um, you know, if those things start moving around or flopping around, man, it can take you to the ground quick in that kind of stuff. Yep. Sliding down a hill with a hundred pound load is not the position you want to be in. Yeah, and, and blow down with, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Head first. That's good stuff. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, can we jump into uh, load load distribution or... Well, let, let's talk frame height first because okay, I think frame height kind of kind of ties into load distribution some. Like there's a there's a backpack fit component to it, but it's also a load distribution benefit. Um, like for me, I'm I'm six foot three, fairly tall. I've got an eighteen and a half inch torso with a twenty four inch frame. I'm you know I can carry forty, fifty, sixty pounds with it. Uh, past forty, I generally prefer twenty six. And I can do an elk pack out with a 26. I, I've done that before. You know, I've carried 100 pound loads with them. And, um, and just just for everybody listening to that, 24 would be our standard frame. 26 yeah, standard is our frame. Our standard frame yeah, with, 20, with two inch extensions. With two inch extensions. Thank, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Uh, again, I I assume a you know a, uh, knowledge base that may not be there. So mm -hmm. um, so 26 inch frame on me is generally low ear to mid ear with normal loads and that's a good judge of frame height and uh, there's a, a component to that that uh, is load lift 
So the, the angle of the load lifter, the steeper that angle is, the more it's pulling up on the harness and is able to pick up on the harness and transfer weight from the shoulders to the hips um, to a certain extent. You do not want the load lifters pulling straight backward. If they do that, they're not lifting. They're just uh, snugging the pack to your back and you're carrying a lot of weight on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. So you want it to be able to pick up. Uh, it's got to be above the shoulder level. Um, so I can do 100-pound pack outs on the 26. When I stick 100 pounds in a 26, it's low ear or maybe even below my ear at that point. But I still get some load lift. Um, but if I throw a 28 in, I get a steep load lifter angle. But I get another benefit, secondary benefit which is uh, it is easier for me to get the load distribution where I want it. Um, and by load distribution, I mean the center of gravity of the load. And the three things you want are it can't be too high. If it is too high, then you get tippy side to side. And when you're in that side hill blowdown stuff and you step over something and your foot slips a little bit, you know, your foot starts to come out from under you and the pack takes you to the ground. You cannot recover from it because it's moving so fast on you. Uh, so that's too high is really bad. If you get the load center of gravity too low or too far away from your back, then it pulls you backwards the whole time you're wearing the pack. It's very uncomfortable. It feels like you're doing a crunch. Um, and you obviously don't want it lopsided, you know, to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. So typically, if you've got the center of gravity of the load right behind your shoulder blades, that that works really well for me. So the load's typically from mid-back up to your shoulders, but the center of gravity is what, what is really important. It can stick up you know, behind your head as long as the center of gravity of the load is, is down behind your shoulder blades. And that taller frame for me gives me more real estate to get that load secured exactly where I want it. And uh, I, I cannot overstate how important load distribution can be because I can take a pack that fits you really well. Uh, the hip belt does not slip. The torso adjustment is perfect. The frame height is great. And if you let me move that load eight to 12 inches, in any direction, I can make it hurt you over a long trail. And then if I move it back that 8 to 12 inches, I can make you feel like you're nimble with 100 pounds on your back. So uh, my, my question, and you show this in the video for people that want to see a, a visual, but when you start off the video, the load maybe is too low on yeah. on your frame and you and you talk about how you can feel it pulling you backwards like kind of it makes you want to almost tip over backwards how are you able to move it eight inches like, uh, like what, are you, what are you doing yeah so i that was on a breakaway frame and there there are different ways to do that um i go over the compression later in the video compression is something that's very hard to explain with audio so this podcast may not be the you know, the best media for that. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, I just move the load shelf up and push the load up some and just change the way it was compressed. Moved it up as high on the frame as I could get it. Um, 
there is another way to do that. And I show that in the video as well. That's the elevated external load frame um, where you can actually use our load shelf and attach it to the middle side compression straps using some gatekeeper straps. And that allows you to load, you know, raise that load wherever you want to. You just completely bypass the uh, the load shelf anchors that are on the frame, mm-hmm. and uh, you're using the side compression anchors to to anchor that load shelf. You can you can raise it up as high as you want at that point. Um, again, mm-hmm. taller frame allows you to secure it when it's up really high. Um, so mm-hmm. that that's how I was able to do that. I cannot overstate what a difference it makes uh, in load distribution. When that when that load is too low, man, you have to lean way over um, to just get balanced. And it's like you're fighting the thing the whole time. Whereas when you get the load distribution upright, you're just like, man, I, I feel like you know, I feel nimble. Like I, mm-hmm. I can move any direction I want to. I'm just standing here, not taking any energy to stand here. Your goal should really be to be able to stand upright as as well as possible and hike upright. That's going to give you the the least amount of fatigue in your hip flexors. Um, and it's also going to give you the most stability for moving over stuff. And you also should have the goal of that there is not a lot of side-to-side movement in that and to kind of go where nathan was going with this i did some testing a few years ago using our panel loader in which i just loaded 75 pounds in different spots all over the pack and i would do a hike for a couple miles loaded just in the bottom of the bag loaded at the very top um, loaded out far away and yeah as much of the weight between the shoulder blades and maybe low ears is for me um that seemed to be by far the most stable and the difference was quite remarkable i mean to have say the load tucked in really tight because our our packs have the capability to have extremely good center of gravity just the way they're designed and kind of wrap you having that tucked in really tight um it was like not really that big of a deal right but if all of a sudden you have it tucked in differently, or you have it set out eight inches, 10 inches away from your body, but it's in the same spot, trying to get up, that weight starts to control you. It starts to throw you around. The The use of energy is absolutely different. So, yeah. so Nathan, let's say you're in the field, you throw an elk rear quarter on uh, a breakaway frame or, or what have you our breakaway frame or just the frame itself and you pick that load up and you instantly feel that it's trying to pull you backwards. You're just going to, mm-hmm. you're just going to set it back down on the ground and adjust, right? Cause you know, cause you've oh, felt yeah. that before cause you've done it before. Oh yeah. I know what that feels like. I know I'm going to use three times as much energy packing out that load when the distribution's wrong as I will. If I just take three more minutes, and get it right set it back down on the ground even though it was probably a lot of work to get it off the ground yep Mm -hmm. it is it is worth the it is worth the effort to get it right if you get that thing up and feel like it's pulling you in any direction get it right um it's worth the time to do that i'm uh, it's amazing when you get the load distribution right and you stand there with 100 pounds on your back 
and I keep saying this, but you feel nimble. Like I can move in any direction and the pack, it's just like a part of my body. You know, it's not, it's not controlling me. It's moving with me. Um, mm-hmm. it, and the, the guidelines, again, you don't want it too high. You don't want it too low. You don't want it too far away from your body. So that means if you've got a pack bag full of gear and you are carrying a full pack of meat and you're on an integrated pack, get the meat in the pack bag and throw your gear on the outside of the pack bag if you have to. You'll get the the bulky, lightweight gear away from your body and get the heavy, dense gear or heavy, dense meat close to your back. Um, And then you don't want it lopsided either uh and when i think of lopsided i've got a i've got two kids and i've got a kid carrier and uh you know i take my daughter for walks in the morning she's 18 months and she leans to one side so that she can look over my shoulder mm-hmm. and even with you know her 30 pounds or whatever leaning to one side to see it makes that pack really uncomfortable after a little while mm-hmm. so uh you know so centered on the back, tubular shapes are good. Uh, quarters make it pretty easy uh, to get your distribution right. If it's a you know boned out meat, I, I think it's good if you try to form it into sort of a tube or get it flat on the pack and then mm-hmm. just control it with compression. That being said, um, I don't I don't necessarily want us to make any more products. Um, that we need to. Uh, there's some very good game bags out there. I could see, though, a benefit specifically for our packs of making game bags that clipped right into where the optimum load carriage was. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've talked about that in the past, and I still think that is something that would be worthwhile. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would it would remove that mistake from people in the field um, that they just hook it up per instructions, and if they loaded meat in there, they they and had a decent fit, they would have a really good center of gravity. Mm-hmm. I, I I think another thing that could help people at least visualize this. Have you guys ever seen like a cross sectional of a backpack where they chop a backpack in half and they say? All right, when you're going backpacking, this is where you want to pack your stuff. Your sleeping bag goes on the bottom. You know, this is your clothes. And then real close to your back is your food and your heavy items. You know, and, and that's that's not in the bottom of the pack close. It's it's up shoulder blades. It's that center, that low distribution, that center of gravity stuff. Like if, if people can visualize that and know that that's where they want to put that meat, I think that would help them out. And we'll, we'll try to link. To, I'll try to find a photo of that for, for everybody. Um, another thing I would say is, is try it, you know, take your, I don't know what, what do you use for weights, Nathan? Um, I've used a lot of different things. Of course, I, I live on a farm and, uh, so, you know, bags of corn or something that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got something like that, like you've got dogs, dog food, just get an extra bag of dog food, 40 pounds, 50 pounds. It's something you're going to use anyway, uh, and it's big and not, you know, the density is pretty even top to bottom. It works really well. Um, 
people will use weight plates and stuff like that, but you can really get into some pokey back issues or some load distribution issues doing it that way. Uh, they work fine, but you've got to know what you're doing to use them correctly. Whereas a bag of corn or a bag of dog food is kind of hard to screw up. Um, uh, I, I use sandbags a lot. Um, I've made some sandbags for, you know, working out and, uh, you know, toss them over things and stuff like that. So I strap those on pretty regularly. Um, but if we're going to talk about, you know, that, I don't do super heavy load workouts anymore. Um, I did a ton of that when we were developing the packs. I've now got arthritis in my spine. <laughs> mm-hmm. There may, there may be a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't, I think people need to test these packs out and get them adjusted right and know that they're going to work the way they need them to on a hunt. But going out and doing workouts with hundred pound loads regularly, it's just really high impact. It's hard on your body. You're saying um, we need to hire some younger people to do that. I would prefer that. I mean, I'm turning <laughs> 40 this year, so I, I think it's time to pass the torch. <laughs> Owen and Tyler, here you guys go. Yeah. Yeah. Start hiking. <laughs> Tyler should be able to handle like 200 pounds, man. Dude's built like a tank. <laughs> for, for those of you listening that have ever called, you may talk to Owen or Tyler on the phone sometime. Um, I, th- I think that's important. Try. And also, you know, like, I, th- I think there's a lot to these adjustments that that people know that they can be adjusted, but never want to touch them and or play with them ever again. You know what I mean? Well, the, you know, I'm, I'm a big picture uh, guy. So know when you've got a problem. If the pack mm. is hurting you, you have a problem and it needs to be fixed. And if you don't know how to fix it, watch our video, you know, look at some of our stuff that we've put out. And if you still can't fix it, call us. Oh, um, I, have a, I have a couple simple tips. Um, not so much around packing up meat, but just getting like, take the belt, put it on you. It doesn't need to be corset tight and just put your arms or thumbs back on the frame and try like you're doing a tricep thing. Does the belt stay put? Is it solid? Right. Um, the, if the belt is staying relatively put, um, you should be in good shape as long as you got the torso and the frame height. Um, another trick that I use is jumping up and down with weight in a pack. Um, just as a quick mimicking of if I can get it to slide or, or if it stays put, doesn't need to be 120 pounds jumping. I was going to say, man, you, you got some ups and jumping with 160 pounds. Yeah. I mean, uh, I used, when we were developing the pack, there was a silly video of me doing 180 degree squat switch pickups with like 90 some pounds. Mm-hmm. Let me <laughs> dig that up. I'll dig that up and link that for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That, I was, mean, before, that was before he turned 50. Yeah. That was definitely before I turned 50. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Now I don't know if that one's going to happen again. Right. Um, but it was like 95 pounds and I was trying to test the stability. Right. Um, but the jumping, you know, when you're walking down a mountain, right, there's 
there's extra jarring on every step. And so I find that jumping up 50, 75 times with load on the back, you know, can give me a pretty quick idea if it's going to stay stable there. Mm. So those are things I think you can do pretty quickly to just check, like, is this load going to stay? Is my belt going to do the job for me, right? Um, without having to go corset tight. I mean, of course, if you get into ridiculous loads, um, you know, three say three quarters of your body weight and more, then I think all bets are kind of off. Mm-hmm. You can also jostle a load really quickly when you get it on and check to see if your load distribution is good and also if your compression is tight. If anything starts flopping, then you need to get it fixed. Mm-hmm. So that, that's another thing. Um, Kevin and I, either one of us can put a pack on and within a minute tell you if it's going to be comfortable for a three-mile pack out or if it is going to be terrible and we need to fix something. So I think that's something that comes with experience. But again, if you know the mechanics of what it takes to make this pack comfortable, you can tell what's breaking down and you know how to fix it. You know how to adjust it and, um, you know, you can make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I can't reiterate that enough is, is just trying, trying things, loading it up, maybe wrong, loading it up right and seeing how those two you know, carrying the exact same weight, how that feels completely different. So you can identify that in the field when you get those exact same feelings and you have yep. some, some processes in place that'll, that'll help you mitigate what's going on, you know? Yep. Um, one other thing that I would say helps, uh, and this isn't backpack fit or distribution or anything, but I really like trekking poles for packing heavy loads uh, i mentioned this in the video i want to i want to get it in here too because i think it's important uh, if you're going uphill with trekking poles you can use arm and shoulder strength to help propel yourself if you're side hilling deadfall you know rocky traverses things like that uh, you've got better balance if you're using trekking poles and the big one for me is going downhill on a hard descent, like you're stepping off of rocks and things like that. And I weigh 190. I've got 100 pounds on my back. I've probably got another 20 or 30 pounds of, you know, binoculars and clothes and boots and all this. So, you know, I've got a lot of weight coming down on my right knee uh, as I'm stepping off this boulder. Well, with trekking poles, I can reach out before I take that step and I can absorb that weight with my arms and shoulders and ease into it with my knee. And, uh, you know, you do that a couple thousand times on a descent and it really makes a difference, uh, really makes you more stable and, and saves your legs and your knees. Now, is that is that only because you're turning 40 that you're recommending that or? I, I use those when I was a lot younger. I mean, <laughs> it's just like uh, it's the difference in a two wheel drive truck and a four wheel drive truck. Yes. You know, some people get by with two wheel drives just fine. I've got a four wheel drive because I use it. Um, yeah. You know, there's I, places I can go with four wheel drives that I can't with two wheel drives. No, what, yeah. What is about him getting older is that weight keeps creeping up. 
Yeah, I know. You know when I first met him, but he no, was I, 170. Then he was 180. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I really I think the kids are responsible for that. And the Lafroy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I really like the four-wheel drive analogy for trekking poles. I love using trekking poles when I have no weight in my pack. I can, I feel like I can just, I can go a hundred miles an hour, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, trekking poles are, are, they're definitely an advantage. Uh, I'll, I'll say that for sure. Um, sweet guys. Anything else? Backpack fit? Load distribution, hip belts, any anything like that you guys want to cover? I don't know. I don't I think I think we've been relatively um thorough, but if people want, if there's something we didn't answer, um they could send a email to podcast at seek outside or whatever, and we can try to get to it at a later date. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for, for everybody, uh, that email just says podcast at Seek Outside. Shoot us a question if you want us to cover something else. We can do that. Uh, Kevin um, and Nathan, I, yeah. I, well, I'll, I'll say this in closing. Um, I had a, you know, putting videos together and stuff kind of a pain. It's a chore. Um, it's not something I really enjoy, but the the response to this one has been really encouraging people are very thankful for it and i think it's helping people uh, i answered an email this morning from a guy who was sending in pictures in response to this and he had weight in the pack and said that he'd been trying things and just couldn't get it adjusted correctly and um that's great you know that that really that really makes it worth doing these sorts of things that knowing that we're helping people to have a better time doing the kind of things that we love to do. So um, I really appreciate, you know, the feedback from, from people. It really means a lot. Agreed. I mean, we aren't, we, we really care about your experience and we do everything we can to try to help you have the most positive experience possible. That being said, we're not going to pack things in for you. We very <laughs> rarely do pack outs for customers. <laughs> if you ever come to Colorado, do not call us. No. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. We will make it feel like zero pounds because we'll just do it for you. <laughs> yeah. We have packed out for customers before, but that's something we try not to do. Yeah. Um, make, make sure you get that email in early, early, so we don't. Yeah. There's a there's a long lead time on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Kevin, and thanks everybody for listening. Again, send us those questions. Check out that YouTube video. We'll link all that stuff below. Uh, and everybody, have a great day. Bye.